0: Alright, we're in Galatians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 15 and 16. Now, as I just told some of you before we started the recording, uh, I wanted to go into chapter 2. I thought we were going to go into chapter 2, and there is so much in chapter 2, I can't wait to get there. Because we'll deal with the Jerusalem Council and some wonderful history and some amazing conversations that were going on. But as I was beginning to do so, and I was preparing for this study, God really clearly said, you're not done in chapter 1. And so I went back and looked at chapter 1 a little bit more, the verses where we left off last week, and I just feel like God says, that we're to spend tonight looking at verses 15 and 16 of Galatians chapter 1. We touched on these two verses last week at the end of our study, but there's so much here for us that I felt that God wants us to take another week to mine some more from the depths of these verses. Now we already saw how God had known before Paul was born that he would become a follower of Christ. And we looked last week at the fact that God's foreknowledge does not remove man's responsibility. If you remember at the end of our study we looked at the fact that even though Jesus kept saying that the Jews were going to reject Him and they were going to kill Him, And they're going to mock him and they're going to hand him over to the Gentiles and they're going to spit on him. But three days later, he would rise. He still went into Jerusalem and wept and said, if you'd only let me, I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing. And we looked at the scripture and how they're both there. Man's responsibility and man be held accountable for whether he says yes or no in obedience to God's plan. And the fact that God already knows. And nothing catches him by surprise. And so there are too many people that run to one side of the argument or the other. If anybody ignores the other side, they're they're teaching only part of the scripture. Now, we have to be honest. None of us can understand how that all fits together. How I have a choice, even though God already knows. It's hard for us to grasp. But we have to just accept the fact that God's word says that we each individually will be held accountable for whether we say yes or no in response to the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. Yet, at the same time... God knew before the world was even created everyone who was going to say yes and no. And as you're going to see tonight, God not only knows ahead of time who's going to be saved, but because of his foreknowledge, he makes choices ahead of time as to what it is he wants to do through us in our lives. See, I want you to look at how Paul said that God had a specific plan for his life that God planned for Paul even before he was born. Listen to what he says here again in Galatians chapter one, verses 15 and 16. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately go consult with anyone. Now we're just gonna stop these two verses is what we're gonna take our time. Look closely at what Paul says. Paul doesn't only say that God planned for him to come to know him ahead of time before he was born. He also had planned what his purpose or his part in the kingdom was going to be. God had a plan for Paul's life. And so I want to show you tonight is we're going to take a long time to look at a bunch of different scriptures in a lot of places throughout the Bible that what was true of Paul and the fact that God had planned before he was even born that he would be a preacher to the Gentiles is also true of us, in a sense, that God has a specific plan for each of our lives as well. Every one of us that have come to know Him through faith in Jesus Christ we're not randomly hoping to be a good Christian, or we shouldn't be randomly hoping to be a good Christian and trying to do good things. And hopefully one day God will say we did a good job. I want to show you scripturally that God has a specific plan for every single one of us that he has known was going to be saved and known we're going to be his child, children. And he planned specifically what it would be. So I'm going to take some time to kind of lay this out from scripture. So go with me to Jeremiah chapter one and look at verses four and five. Here, Jeremiah talks about his story. And in chapter 1 of the book of Jeremiah, in verses 4 and 5, he says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Did you see what Jeremiah says? God had already planned for Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations before he was even born. Let me show you another place. Go to Luke chapter 1. And look at verses 13 through 17. Here's when Zechariah is getting a message from the angel Gabriel about the son that he and Elizabeth are about to have. So the angel, the angel said to him verse 13 of Luke 1. The angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth." For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God had a plan for John the Baptist before he was even born. Not only did he have a specific plan for him before he was born, he had a specific way that John was to live his life, even as a part of that plan. How he was to dress or what he was to drink and all these different things. God had laid that out. Now, let me take you to Acts chapter 13. Those of you that uh, were at the memorial service that we had today for Lena uh, heard me touch on this passage a little bit. I'm going to show you two verses in Acts 13, verse 22, and also in verse 36. Paul's preaching to a group of Jews and some God-fearing Gentiles in a synagogue in Pisceania Antioch. And in the middle of his sermon as he's laid out the history of Israel and the lineage of Jesus and how Jesus is the Messiah, he makes a very interesting statement about David. He says in verse 22, And when he, God, had removed him, meaning Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. Who will do all my will? Some of your translations word it this way. He'll do everything I want him to do. Look at what it says in verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. He's pointing out the fact that David actually, when he had served God's purpose, he died and his body decayed. Which means he couldn't be the one the prophecy was talking about because just prior to that he's quoting from the Psalms where it says you won't let your Holy One see decay. And because Jesus died, but only was in the tomb for three days and then rose from the dead by his own power, he's the one the prophecy was talking about, not David. And he was clarifying that. But look at what he says. When David had served God's purpose in his generation, that's when he died. Now, folks, I I want to kind of lay this out for you because I don't want you to miss this. God not only knew that you would trust him before you were born, and that still is a choice you must make. But with that knowledge, he also has a specific plan of what he wants to accomplish through you in your life. Now, some would say, well, Jim, this is only true for leaders and preachers. I mean, you've listed David, come on, I'm not a David. You've listed Jeremiah, I'm not a prophet. You've listed John the Baptist. I mean, Jim, Paul, I can understand, and Jeremiah and John the Baptist, I can understand, but does God have a specific plan for me? I mean. Well, let me show you in scripture what the Bible says. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Remember now Paul's writing a letter to the church there in Ephesus. And in chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 in a very familiar passage he says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not your own is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Look closely, though, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to see what's being said here. God planned ahead of time what good works He wants you to accomplish. He's not wanting you just to do good works, and hopefully one day God will say you did good, he has specific good works that He's planned for you. Remember in the parable of the talents. He gave one five, another two, and another one. Each what? According to their ability. Well, who's the one that determines our ability? God. And He's the one who said, I want you, I've want. i given you five, and you two, and you one, and I have a responsibility that I ask of each of you. He had a specific plan for each of them. But also go and look at Philippians chapter 2. You're in Ephesians. Jump, jump over to one book to Philippians and look at chapter 2 verses 12 and 13. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He says, Look, you've been obeying and that's great, and you obeyed when you're in my presence, and now even more when I'm not there. I want you to continue to take real serious this relationship that you have with God. That's what he means by work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, I want you to take serious this relationship that you've been given. Now one of the ways I could show you that that's what it means is if we were to take the time and go back to Corinthians, you'll see that Paul talked about a time when he had sent Titus to the church in Corinth and he praised them for the fact that they received Titus with fear and trembling. Now they weren't afraid of Titus. They weren't like, oh no, Titus is coming and he's the boogeyman. They took serious his visit. They listened to what he said and they did what he said. And that's what this means here. Paul says, look, I want you to take serious this relationship you've been given with God, this salvation that you've received because I want you to understand something. You just haven't been saved and put on a shelf of those who are now going to heaven. But you actually now have God himself living within you by his spirit and it, God himself is wanting to live out his plan for your life through you. I see people going, wow. That's, that's why Dr. Jeremiah said a man doing God's work is immortal until God is finished with him. That's right. That's right. A man doing God's work is immortal until God's done with him. The safest place you can be is in the center of God's will. One of the most unsafe places you can be is out of the will of God. You're right. But now some of you are still saying, okay, but I don't know how that applies to people like me. I work with my hands. I can't wait to show you Exodus 31. Go to Exodus 31. Go to Exodus 31. Now we're going to take some time to kind of walk through this. I'm going to show you something in Exodus 31, Exodus 35, Exodus 36. Look closely what's being said here. Now remember this is during the time that God has given Moses the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. And if you remember God was very, very specific as to how it was to be built, the dimensions, what was to be used. But look at what He says in chapter 31 verse 1 of Exodus. He said, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of the meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that's on it, and all the furnishings of the tent." the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments, for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do." Look closely at this, folks. God didn't say, hey, I need this stuff done, let's get a group of volunteers together. By the way, in all my years of, as being a pastor in different places in the country, this is why I got rid of the nominating committee. Because the nominating committee works against this biblical principle. The nominating committee in our churches typically are looking for volunteers to fill spots. And typically how they usually work is they take the church directory and whenever there's need, they'll just go through the church directory and make phone calls. Hey, would you fill this spot? Would you fill this spot? And as soon as all the spots are filled, their job is done. But the Bible says that there's no such thing as a volunteer anywhere in Scripture. Think back when David says, I'm going to build you a temple. And God says what? You're not the one I chose. Oh, yeah. Think about that. I mean, that was a pretty good thing. And was he able to do it? Did he have the ability? Yes. He had the power anyway and the ability in that sense. But God said, you're not the one I chose. He says, you're a man of blood. You've shed blood. Now, it's not a bad thing that you've shed blood, David. I made you good at shedding blood. I've gifted you, gifted you, I can't even say gifted 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 you, I gotta slow down here. I've gifted you in being able to be a warrior. David, you'll never lose a battle in your life. But the one I've chosen to build my temple is not gonna be one who's been a man who shed blood. I've chosen your son, Solomon. All the way through Scripture, you see this principle in Acts chapter one. We're not well. You know what? We're going to turn there. Put a bookmark and here in uh, um, Exodus thirty-one, and go with me to Acts chapter one. Look at verse fifteen and following. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that field was called in their own language, Echeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp be de- come desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Did you catch that? They didn't look for volunteers. They said, Lord, you know who you've chosen. Show us who it is you've chosen. Now, a little trivia here. That's the last time you're going to see casting lots anywhere in the Bible. You know why? The Holy Spirit comes in chapter 2. And he comes to indwell us. And he'll lead us. And he'll guide us. And he'll teach us. And he'll show us the things that are to come. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will direct us and teach us. There's no need to cast lots anymore. But they prayed this prayer. Peter said, Lord, you know who you... Show us whom you've chosen. Actually, I would challenge you to show me anywhere in the Bible... Where there's volunteering. Now you say, wait a minute, what about Isaiah 6? Doesn't God say, whom will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Doesn't that sound like he's volunteering? Yeah, but back up. In the beginning of that chapter, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Who's the only one that saw God on his throne? Isaiah. Isaiah. Who was the only one that had that just prior to that had the angel take the coals from the altar and touch his lips? Only Isaiah. When God says, Whom will I send who will go for me? Who was the only one in the room? (laughs) (laughs) Isaiah. He wasn't volunteering, folks. He was responding to a specific call of God. Some some will say, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, Jim, what about Gideon? He went and enlisted all these people. And God, yeah, that's true. The Bible even says that God empowered Gideon to enlist all those people. But then God says, you go now to that group and you say, anybody that's really kind of afraid and doesn't want to do this, they're free to go. And 22,000 people said, thank you very much. And they those left. Those were the volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's were some of the volunteers. Exactly. But then God said, you still got 10,000. They still have more. I want you to now take them down to the river and have them just take a drink. And they're free to choose however they want to drink. But the ones who drink in this manner are the ones I've chosen. Folks, all the way through Scripture. And I want you to hear it. It's not just for the preachers. Let's go back to Exodus, and I'll show you some more here. Go to chapter 35. So, Jim, you trying to say that we are nominating committees. We have the committee to call pastors. Don't get me started on how churches call <laughs> pastors now, either. I, um, to be really honest with you, uh, a lot of the ways in which we do it is very, very unbiblical in the sense that we get a representative from this group and a representative from this group and with someone from this department, and they all get together and they go pick. It's not even close to how the scripture talks about that kind of a thing. And we're suffering the consequences of that as well because we're looking at a bunch of resumes and making our choices from someone on a piece of paper and one sermon. Uh, Instead of, honestly, the Bible actually shows you folks a a wonderful picture of them rising up from within the body as their gifts become known over time and they move from, you know, uh, whatever role they're using to or into deacon and possibly elder. And we're afraid of that term. And in time senior elder if you will in a known quantity. Uh, they appointed elders and leaders from within the body. Once in a while as the church began God would have Paul to appoint pastors if you will for a time like a Timothy or a Titus. But as the church grew that wasn't necessary anymore it came from- because they came from within. But nowadays, we, we, we think we're smarter than God, and we come up with all, the, well, we need to have someone who represents the senior adults on that committee, and someone who represents the youth on that committee, and, someone who, and, and we go at it with man's eyes, but again, you're going to derail me, so don't, don't <laughs> let me go there. Well, you had your hand up, Chris. I was just going to say that in all these examples, it shows the, that God's chosen who he has for that particular task, but the individuals involved, whether it's the masses that get in and assemble, or uh, individuals that... That uh, wanted to do something. There was a desire by those people to be involved, as opposed to being nominated externally by somebody else. Yes. Or an arm twisting kind of a thing. Yep. It's I'd like to do this. And then the question is okay, Lord, isn't it? Exactly. And actually, you just made a wonderful transition to chapter 35 and 36, because that's exactly what we're going to show you. Go to chapter 35 and look at verse 30. This we're still dealing with the Bezalel and the Holy Ab says, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs. Isn't that cool? To work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach. Both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver, or by a designer, or by an embroider in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, or by a weaver, or by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded." Now I love verse 2, look closely. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman, and whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. You see, that there's two things here. There's a desire within them to do it, and God has gifted them to do it. And that's very important. one of the ways you'll know that this is something that God has chosen for you to be a part of, one of the ways that you'll know that God has chosen for you to be involved in this ministry or whatever it is, is you're going to have a desire and the ability. See, there's a lot of people over my years of being a pastor who had lots of desire but no ability. I want to sing the solo. Uh, Actually, we'd rather you not. You know what I'm saying? I want to teach that class. The class doesn't want you to teach that class. And so there's a difference between saying I want to do it And also having the gift. And so here's the deal. As Chris was pointing out, it's not, hey, would you fill a spot? There's a desire within them as well. They rose up. They were stirred by their heart and God had gifted them to do it. And that's one of the ways that you'll know. But don't think that if you're not a preacher or a teacher or whatever, that this doesn't apply to you. These are the ones that got their hands dirty building the stuff. Allison. And don't think that if God calls you, He won't equip you. All of the things that He gave these two men would have taken a lifetime for any one of those skills to be learned as a craftsman yep for them to have had all of those could only have been given and equipped by god exactly what have they been doing what have these men been doing for the last so many years they've been wandering in the desert and before that they had been slaves and as far as we know all they did was make bricks where do they learn this skill oh it was from his grand? no 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 they've been in slavery for 400 years there was no trade passed on but God gifted them with the ability to do what it is he had asked them to do. Folks, some of you say, I I think I know what God wants me to do, but I'm not sure I'm good at it. And guess what? You're going to be surprised that if it's something he's put in your heart and then you set out to do it. That's what people say, Jim, how did you know that God was calling you to preach? I didn't take a spiritual gift test to find out if I was supposed to preach. I got involved in the life of the church. I went to Sunday school. I went to Bible studies, and as we sat and talked about the scriptures, it became evident not only to me but to those around that, you know what, God's given you a little bit of ability to communicate this and and to, and to see things, and in time it became evident. And I've had over the years opportunity to develop and fan into flame the gift that God's given me. And thank God for Wayne Harvey, who was the pastor at First Indian Atlantic years and years ago, who I didn't know it at the time, but he actually was having some health issues. I just thought he was giving me opportunity to preach, but he was actually tired. And He said, won't you take a Sunday night? And in time, I even made it to Sunday morning. And in time, God began to show that this is what He had called me to do. But it was because I got involved in the life of the church and started working in the areas that I felt interested. There's a wonderful man at our church, who, his, his name is Victor. When he showed up at the church, he uh, came and got involved, he, he wanted to do sound. But it never the door never really opened. And so, well, he saw an opening in working with the buses. And so he said, hey, do you mind if I help out in this area? And they said, sure, give it a shot. Next thing you know, it became so evident that he was gifted in administration and detail and planning and maintenance. He is now head of the entire maintenance of the whole property at First Baptist Merritt Island. They hired him. And he'll tell you right now. He'll tell you right now that it was when he got involved that his gifts became evident. And he tell you right now he doesn't want to do sound. He loves what God's got him doing. And the same thing with you. Don't sit back and say, well, I don't know what it is. Get involved in the life of the church and it'll become evident to you. It'll become evident what God has. Now, again, there's a difference, though, between saying I want to do this and God not confirming it. These were confirmed because they had it stirred in their heart and God had given them the gifting. And listen, the body recognized that God had given them the gifting. That's very important as well. Now, please keep in mind that we're talking about the good works which God has ordained for us to do. Things that pertain to the building up of the body or the increasing in the kingdom. I'm not necessarily, let me qualify this, I'm not necessarily talking about your jobs in the workplace or the workforce, although, God cares about that as well. He may have you in your place of work for his kingdom purposes. But I've also come to realize that a lot of the times in our lives when we don't even realize what God is doing, where he has us in what's going on is actually a shaping for what he wants next. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shaping and a preparation for what he wants to do down the road. God gives us glimpses and visions of what it is he wants us to do and he wants to do through us. It doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow but He prepares us in each phase and step of our life. What I'm challenging you to be is someone who's living with a mindset of the things of God and what God wants and what God's doing. Don't fall prey to the mindset of being taught here in the church today of, you're, now that you're saved, go do find something to do and hopefully God will be pleased with it. Remember back, well, let me go ahead and go there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Some of you have heard me teach on this in certain churches in the area, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And look at verses 4 through 7, and then we're going to jump to verse 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 4, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And to each is given the manifestation or evidence of the spirit for the common good. Now, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, I don't want you to miss something. We all understand that when we get saved, that God gives us certain gifts and abilities, if you will. Spiritual gifts to be used for the the building up of the body. We all understand that. And we don't waste our time arguing over what I think your gifts ought to be. We know that that's determined by God. But the same passage also says, though, that the same God who determined what our gifts would be also has chosen where and how we're to use our gifts. You can have more than one gift. Oh, yeah, you can definitely have more than one gift. But here's the deal. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Even though Peter and Paul had the same gift mix, as you'll see when we get further into Galatians chapter two, if we ever get to Galatians chapter two, that God had chosen for Paul to preach where and to who? The Gentiles. And Peter was chosen by God to preach where and to who? To the Jews. See, God has not only gifted you. He's already chosen where you're to use those gifts and with what people. You might be gifted to teach, but that doesn't mean you're supposed to teach youth. It might mean that you teach it older folks. Or it might be that you're to teach youth. Just because you're gifted to teach doesn't mean you're gifted to teach everyone. And anybody that's tried to teach everyone will come to realize they're different animals, aren't they? And I'll tell you one thing, those who are called and gifted to teach with teenagers, especially the junior high, I call them pre-human myself. (laughs) But there are those who are tremendously gifted to teach, but not only teach, but to teach with the young people. So so again, I want you to hear like we had talked about earlier. Some of you right now might say, I don't even know what God's plan is for my life. Well, guess what? He'll use you wherever you are if you'll let him. I want to take you to something that you might not have even really thought about. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, and look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Naaman, 2 Kings 5 verse 1, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, all right, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now we're just going to stop here. I want this to sink in. This little girl was kidnapped, right? And a a warring raid, a band of raiders, if you will, from Syria had gone into Israel and taken her captive. And she was now working as a slave for the wife of Naaman. But God used a kidnapped little girl who had her eyes on the kingdom of God and God's purposes in everything. Remember, the Bible says in Romans 8, God caused all things to work for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. She didn't sit there saying, I wish my boss would die. I hate my job and I can't wait till I get out of here. She was looking for what God was doing in everything. And she said, oh, if only Naaman would go to the prophet who's in Samaria, he could be cured of his leprosy. And God used this little kidnapped girl to have the commander of the army of Syria. Boy, didn't that ring with what's going on in our world today. The commander of the army of Syria to come to faith in the Jehovah true God. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. But it was because she was willing where she was to have a view of God. I'm here. What do you have in mind? And folks, if his plan is to move you, he'll show you when that is as well. But he wants us first to be willing to acknowledge that our lives are not our own. You've been bought with a price. And God has chosen before you were born, not only that you would come to know him, but he's also chosen what? How he would glorify himself through you. And one of the ways you'll know is it just lines up with how you're stirred and passion in your heart and what you're gifted. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But he who has been given faithful with little, the Bible says, will then be given more. Start where you are and be willing to say, Lord, how could you use me where I'm at? How could you use me where I'm at? Go with me to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Now we've just, if you remember me teaching on this many times, at the end of chapter 11, he's just said how it's all, everything in the world is about God. How you're not going to figure him out. Who's, Who's ever been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God owes him something? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. In other words, because of the fact that this whole universe and everything's all about God, and he's let us be a part of what he's doing for his own glory. Because of his mercies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Let us use them, if it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if it's service, in, in our serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes, in generosity, The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, here, this is all tied back to what he's just said in the end of chapter 11. This whole world is all about God and his plan. And... He chose to reveal himself to the nation of Israel and to create the nation, even from one man, Abraham, and to make a nation that he would reveal himself to, that they would be his witnesses to the world. And then that through them, the Messiah would come. And then that through the Messiah, many would come to faith and be reconciled to God through Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. And then, as you know, the Bible says, for those of us who have put our faith in him, the Holy Spirit was going to come upon us and we're going to receive power and would be his what? His witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the the most parts of the earth. And as we're seeing tonight, not only has he chosen for us to be his witnesses, specifically how he wants to witness his power through us is going to be made manifest by the gifts that he's given us, and they're different. And the ministries that he's chosen for us, and they're to be different. Yet many of us have grown up under the church that said, you all need to be at work day. You all need to be, at, we expect everybody to be at everything. And to always be doing everything the same way. And no, no, no. What is it that God has gifted you to be? And how do you fit into the body? And I love how here he starts breaking it down. If you don't understand, I'm saying those of you that have been gifted to prophesy, prophesy. Those of you that have been gifted to teach, teach. Those who have been gifted to serve, serve. Those who have been gifted to give. I mean, folks, let's be honest. Some people are just blessed by God with the ability to make money. And he says to those people, I blessed you with the ability to make money so that you would be my conduit so that money would be passed out so that the kingdom would be accomplished through the giving and supporting of ministries. Thank God for those of you that support what I do. My gifts are in preaching and teaching his word. And I'm able to go and preach and teach wherever because people support the ministry with the funds to take care of plane tickets and meals and whatever else that needs to be done. And I'm able to do what I do because other people take care of the gifts and use their gifts. Folks, I don't know what it is that you're supposed to be doing. And it is not my job to tell you what it is. But I'm going to tell you this. The Bible says, warn the idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. If you've not plugged in somewhere, tonight I want you to hear that God has a place or places that he wants to plug you in. And there's nothing better than knowing, this is what God's called me to do. And I'm going to tell you, watch out for man who will try to add on to what God has chosen for you to do and try to burden you with, well, you need to do this too. And the church has crippled each other a lot. We start making added rules, as we've been seeing in our study, about how we're to dress or what translation we're supposed to use. And all these things we add. And, well, you're supposed to do this too your own master you stand or fall, and that's the Lord Jesus who lives within you. And I'm going to tell you, find out where it is that he's gifted you and go to work there. Now, look at what he says here in Romans 12. So what he says, you want to know God's will for your life? We just saw that in the end of verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, we don't know whether or not we're a five or two or a one, it, then you're not to know. You don't know if you've been given five, two, or one, and you're never to know. He just tells us that so we won't compare ourselves with each other. Do you understand? We don't sit around and say, oh, I think Rita's a five. Of course, nobody said that, Rita, but just, but, uh, but, but, uh, (laughs) but, it's Rita. She loves it. But what I'm saying is this, no one, we're not to sit and worry about who's a five, who's a two, who's a one, but God told us that so that we would not compare ourselves to each other and we'd be faithful to live what it is that God has us to do. So don't spend your time comparing, well, I don't, I'm not as gifted as so-and-so. Where does the Bible say you're supposed to be as gifted as so-and-so? If the preacher ever said you should be as gifted as so-and-so, stop listening to him because he's not preaching the truth of the Bible. But each according to the measure of faith and the gift that you've been given, you, stop living for self, first of all. We need to die to self. We need to line our minds up daily with God and his plan for us. We're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, but to use the gifts that God has given us according to the measure of faith he has given us. I want to take a second here and read to you a devotional that uh, somebody sent to me uh, over about two weeks ago. And it lines up so perfectly with where we are tonight. This is actually by Chuck Swindoll. Uh, it's in Second Corinthians, chapter four, verses one through seven. And, and you can go and look there later on. But he, this is what Chuck says in his devotional here about being a servant heart. Says in his fine little volume, In the Name of Jesus, Henry Nguyen mentions three very real, albeit subtle temptations any servant of Christ faces. They correspond with the three temptations our Lord faced before He began His earthly ministry. They also fit with the three observations the Apostle Paul mentions in his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 1-7. And that talks about how we have this treasure in jars of clay. All right, For those of you who aren't sure what that was referring to. The first temptation is to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. Instead of being so self-assured, we need to be open, unguarded, and vulnerable. You remember, that was how Jesus was tempted by Satan, wasn't it, in the wilderness? If you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. You do it on your own. Second temptation, to be spectacular. A celebrity mentality. In no one's words, Jesus refused to be a stuntman. He didn't come to walk on hot coal, swallow fire, or put his hand in a lion's mouth to demonstrate he had something worthwhile to say. And isn't that one of the temptations in the church today that we think we have to be impressive to try to get people to come? Don't fall prey to that temptation either because some of you aren't serving God and using the gifts God's given you because first of all, you don't know how to let him live his life through you and you've been trying it on your own and it doesn't work. And secondly, you think that you're not flashy enough. Well, never said you're supposed to be flashy. The third temptation is to be powerful or in charge. To to lead is appropriate, necessary, and good. But to push, to manipulate, to be in full control, never. To say it simply, one God is sufficient. If you think you need to manipulate people to get them to do it, you don't understand the Holy Spirit's power and His role, and you're actually usurping the authority of God. So he says, Servanthood implies diligence, faithfulness, loyalty, and humility. Servants don't compete or grandstand, or polish their image, or grab the limelight. They know their job. They admit their limitations. They do what they do quietly and consistently. Servants cannot control anyone or everything, and they shouldn't try. Servants cannot change or fix people. Servants cannot meet most folks' expectations. Servants cannot concern themselves with who gets the credit. Servants cannot minister in the flesh or all alone. Let me suggest five practical guidelines for cultivating the right kind of servant habits. Whatever we do, let's do more with others. Ministry is not a solo, it's a chorus. Whenever we do it, let's place the emphasis on quality, not quantity. Excellence, not expansion, is our goal. Whenever we go to do it, let's do it the same as if we were doing it among those who know us the best. Not only will this keep us accountable, it'll guard us from exaggeration. Whoever may respond, let's keep a level head. If someone criticizes, don't allow it to get you down. If someone idolizes, don't tolerate or fantasize such foolishness. However long we minister, let's model the master, a servant-hearted and grace-oriented style. Let's serve in the name of Jesus. A servant-hearted attitude keeps us from a self-minded attitude. There's a lot here. But what I want you to hear is this, Is that God has a plan for you. And you've got to take your eyes off of what other people are trying to tell you it should be. And you need to do what it is that God's called and gifted you to do. And you need to stop comparing yourself with others and live the life God has for you. Real quickly, Allison, before you go there. In Hebrews chapter 12, remember what it says. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Go ahead, Allison. When we compare, it's ultimately pride. Yeah. We're saying either we don't match up, so we're it's either false pride or false humility, or we're too prideful trying to say that we're better. I'm going to tell you, you're right, and I'm going to take from what you said and just tell you. In my years of being a pastor, the people that were the hardest for me to deal with were the people that thought more highly of themselves than they ought. And they were a handful. And also the people who thought more lowly of themselves than they ought. And they were the woe is me, codependent type. And they were a handful. It's pride in reverse. It sure is. And so those of us who understand who we are in Christ and we're living the life God has for us, those are the ones who, Well, man, I love those kind of folks in my churches. Just this, I had to experience this myself again. We're gonna have to be reminded of this over and over, but when I was in Romania, the uh, the pastor of one of the churches that I was preaching at, and who was also whose house I was staying at, He had actually, uh, their church was building a camp for young people to go out. It was about 45 minutes outside the city, and it's under construction, and they had been raising funds for this. And they actually had sent 12 men from their church to drive to Germany, which was a 15, 18-hour drive, to go to this hotel and empty the hotel of all its contents. They had purchased everything inside this old hotel. We're talking all the beds, we're talking hundreds of beds and chairs and tables and the dishes and the silverware. I mean, they took everything from this hotel. And when I mean everything, they actually removed the walk-in freezer. They took everything because they had purchased all the contents inside that building before it was demolished. And they had loaded this 18-wheeler, and there was another truck being loaded up with the rest of the stuff because it didn't all fit in one. And the pastor was rounding people up to come meet the truck at the camp to unload it. And I'm at his house, and he said, Jim, I want you to come unload it too. Some of you may or may not know this, but I have had to stop carrying things that are heavy because the last time I helped someone move, and I've been a pastor for a lot of years, and I've helped a lot of people move, I injured my back and I have a disc that if I carry anything too heavy, it bulges and I lose strength in one of my legs. And just recently, in the last few years, I came real close to having back surgery. And right as I was with the surgeon scheduling the surgery because nothing else was working, God healed me in that doctor's office and the strength came back into my leg immediately while I was talking to the doctor and we stopped the surgery right there. But since then, I have had to learn to listen to him. And he's been using this as a chance to teach me that I'm not to live my life for other people's expectations. And you might look at me and think, oh, Jim, you don't care what people think. Actually, it's been one of the biggest things I've struggled with in ministry my entire life. One of the reasons why everybody has loved me as their pastor was I tried to make everybody happy. And now I'm in the house of this pastor who's rounding up these people to unload this truck. And the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go unload that truck, but stay home. And it was very hard for me to do but i told the pastor i'm sorry but my back and my lord won't let me go do this and he looked at me funny as if to say well come on you know i'm feeding you you're in my house why don't you go do this and i was able under the lord's direction to just say no god did an amazing thing and this truck when it showed up at this camp 50 to 60 different people from that church showed up to unload. And what they thought was going to take six hours only took two. And the pastor and and, and someone else who was in that house came back. And they were all excited because of how simply and wonderfully it went. Because the body showed up. And the ones who were gifted to do that hauled everything out of that truck. And he said, we didn't need you. Maybe it was because you obeyed. It might have been because I obeyed. All I know is that I know I obeyed. And I thank God that I did the hard thing by saying, no, I'm not supposed to do that. Even though there was pressure from the church, brothers in Christ, to say you need to be doing this. Folks, I want you to become that kind of a person as well. God has a specific plan for your life. And when you're living it, there's a joy and a peace that I can't describe to you. I want you to live in that as well. Back in Galatians, go to Galatians chapter one again. We see that Paul not only was chosen by God to preach, but he was specifically chosen to preach to the Gentiles. Folks, God has not only designed the what of our ministries, but he's also chosen the who to's and the when's and the how muches. How many of us over the years have been involved in ministry, but then the brook dried up and God said, I got something else for you to do. But the church said, no, we need you to keep doing it. Remember when Elijah was told to go to the brook at the Carith Ravine, I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. But then the brook dried up and God said, I got a new place for you to be. But there's many of us that are in ministry right now and we're doing the things that God had us to do at one time, but God said it's time to move on and we stayed. And you know who you are, you're miserable. There's no joy in your service of the Lord. But someone's got to do it. And if I don't do it, it won't get done. And without realizing it, we're making some horrible statements about our God. We think that he can't do it without us or that he's impotent without our service, or we've been guilted into continuing to do something that God said, I got something else for you to do. And folks, we're missing out, and we're killing ourselves trying to serve God. And what I feel like God wants me to do in closing tonight is this, is to walk you through what it really means to serve God. Now, in order to do this, I need your help. We've got all a bunch of different translations here in our room. I'm going to need you to speak up so that we can hear what your translations say in these areas. Okay? So go with me to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to all share what our translations say. Acts chapter 17. Look at what Paul says here now in uh, um, verse 24 and 25. He's describing this unknown God to the men of the Areopagus there on Mars Hill. And he says this in, in verse 24, He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, here it says in my translation, the ESV, that he's not, God is not served by human hands, right? What do some of your translations say? Nor is he worshipped. Nor is he worshipped. Now stick with me. This is important. All right. So what translation do you have here that says worship? King James? Uh, new, America, or new King James. New King James says worshipped. King, King, King says worshipped. New King James says worshipped. All right. Any other translations? Well, those NLT. That, what's that? NLT says what? Human hands can't serve his needs for he has no need. Okay. So the NLT says serve. Some other translations that aren't ESV, what do they say? Served, and what is your translation? New American. That's a New American Standard, like his. Right, no, no, sorry, you're new King, new King James. So New American says served. All right, this is important, so stick with me here. It might get a little confusing, but if you stick with me, something's going to explode here. Go with me to Psalm 100 and look at verse 2. The ESV says serve the Lord with gladness. Mm-hmm. What do some of your translations say? N-A-S serve. N-A-S says serve. Worship. Some worship. of your translations say worship the Lord with gladness. Yeah. Yeah. Now, your your translation, Niggy, that says worship the Lord with gladness, did it say serve in you have the ESV? Have the ESV. Well, ESV doesn't say worship, doesn't say worship, it says serve. the sure. so, says worship. It, it says, says worship in the other words. But in the other verse, it said serve, but now it says worship. Isn't that interesting? You have King James, it says serve, right? Serve. Yeah, serve. But in the other translation, in serve. Acts, it said it says worship. It. They're flip-flopping. It's not that certain translations you serve and certain translations you worship. You're going to find they flip-flop. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to explain it. Hang on, and you'll see why. <laughs> no, actually... You're going to find something that's really kind of fun. All right, Romans chapter 12, right where we just were. If I were to ask you to quote it to me, some of you that learned to memorize this passage in King James would say, What? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your what? Reasonable service. What do your other translations say instead of reasonable service? spiritual service of worship some of them say act of worship folks but I want you to grasp it actually doesn't have to do with the Hebrew or the Greek actually if you look at what the word means in the Hebrew and what the word means in the Greek worship and service are interchangeable the Hebrew word could mean worship or service the Greek word could mean worship or service that's why in all our translations it doesn't matter what translation you have you find them all flipping and flopping it's not one translation always uses worship and the other one always uses serve they flip and here's why because serving god and worshiping god are the exact same thing we have been taught that they're different and i want us to understand now now we gotta we gotta go somewhere with this then if serving god and worshiping god are the same thing how do we serve god when the bible says he's not served by human hands yet we're to serve the lord with gladness well, okay, but, but what does it mean to worship him? Because if worship it means serve him, that's an easy answer, but that doesn't help us there, Allison, <laughs> troublemaker. Worship him, serve him. The answer... What? that we, so we worship to God. All that yes, we do. Every, you're getting close, but that's not quite... I'm sorry? That's probably as close as we can come. That's real close. The answer's in Matthew 6. Go to Matthew 6. All right, now look at verse 24. All of our translations are going to say the same thing here. They're going to say, no one can serve, right? Two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now this is going to unlock this for us. Because service and worship are the same thing, but we really don't know what it means to serve God. And we really don't know what it means to worship God, but this will help us unlock it. All right. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. Now, in order to understand how to serve God, because it's where where to serve him yet where he's not served, we have to leave the serving of God alone. And let's take a look at what it means to serve money. How do you serve money? Do you say to money, I'll wash your socks? No. You don't say, can I cut your grass money? No, you can't do things for money in that sense. How you serve money is you live your life with a full dependence that money is going to take care of you. You live your life however, you may beg, you may borrow, you may steal, you may work hard, but you live your life with a total dependence and reliance on money to provide for your needs. That's how you serve, that's how you worship money. Your focus is on money and what it can do for you and you trust in it. Like a politician. Yeah, (laughs) here's where I want you to go now. How do we serve God? He's not served by human hands in us, ne- him needing us to do anything for him but we're to serve Him with gladness. How do we serve Him? We worship Him. But how do we worship Him? We live our lives with a full dependence upon Him that He will provide for us. Everything we need, everything we're to do is to be a focus on Him and His plan and we rest in Him. Yes, Rita, we do yield to Him and that's why I want you to live a life of worship but you cannot worship God if you're doing what you think you ought to do and it's not in line with God's plan for your life. And as you've seen, He's already chosen before you were born, what he wanted to do through you. So stop letting man or the nominating committee or pastors, the personnel committee, or anyone determined for you besides the Lord Jesus, what it is that you're to be doing in the service of the Lord. He called you. He saved you. He's gifted you. And he also has specifically where he wants you to use those gifts. And when you Begin to see that stirring in your heart and then it lines up with the gifts and it's obvious to the rest of the body, this is something you're gifted to do. That's where you're to be. Oh, there's gonna be lots of people who stand up and say, we need more workers here. Oh, we need more workers here. And they're gonna try to guilt you into doing things. And let me just tell you, listen to what Jesus said when he said that there was a need for workers in the harvest field. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest to provide workers. He didn't say, we need to have a worker fund drive or a volunteer sign-up list, we need more workers. He just said, you think that we need more workers? Yes, we do. The field are ripe under harvest and the laborers are few. but I want you to pray to God to provide the workers in the harvest field, because He's the one who's determined who's supposed to be there and where and how and what. You men in yes I did. Yes I did. You were paying attention, Mark. Thank you very much. Here's the last thing and we'll get right to you. send something I want to encourage you with. Some of you are saying, Jim, it's awful late in my life to be hearing this message. Never too late, Never too late. and listen. Jesus revealed himself to Paul at just the right time. Did you catch that? Mm -hmm. Paul was on in years when he met Jesus face to face. But how did he word it back in Galatians? What did he say? But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. When he chose to open my eyes to this. When he chose to. And as you look at Paul's life, all of a sudden you realize all those years that we would say were wasted. Oh, they didn't amount to anything in the sense of him earning reward in heaven. But God had used all of that to prepare him for what God had for him to do. And that's why he was able to go from being saved to walking right into a synagogue and begin preaching. Why? Because he had spent his life studying the scriptures. And God said, all that I've done in your past is helping you to get ready for what I want to do now. So don't sit there and say it's too late. Go find out where it is that He's gifted you and called you, and let Him do it through you, and enjoy it. It's really a lot of fun. And stop deciding what everybody else should be. You're not the Lord. Allison. I was just gonna say, as parents learning to let your kids make their own mistakes because there is a place that God has them that He wants them to be. David accomplished everything God wanted him to, including everything that happened with Bathsheba, including all of that. He takes even our mistakes and our wrong choices, and He'll use them for His his purposes. purposes. It wasn't God's first choice that he sleep with Bathsheba, but he wasn't derailed by him sleeping with Bathsheba. And some of us have made some good boo-boos in our life, but that doesn't mean you're disqualified. It is a learning experience to get us back to where God wants you to be. And all that came out of Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Lord willing, we'll be in chapter 2 next week. Let me pray for us. (laughs) Father... uh, I could just go on and on as I I get so excited when I see these things just jump off the page. But Lord, forgive us because we honestly, over the years, have made judgments about you and how we have designed our bylaws and our constitutions and our manuals according to what we think ought to be done or how we think it ought to be done. And we have put together man's ways of doing things that totally disregard your, your leadership, your direction, and your power. In your plan. Oh, and we think we're serving you. We think we're doing good, when in actuality, well, as you said in Matthew chapter 15, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Father, I pray for us that each of us would not take our time to look around at how other people ought to be fixing their stuff, that we would individually make sure that we're living the life you have for us and we are experiencing the joy and the peace of knowing this is where God wants us to be. Oh, Lord, there'll be times you'll challenge us to step out of the boat into waters that are scary and and wild, but you'll be there and you'll show your power. The other times, as I've shared tonight, you're going to teach us how to say no to other people's expectations and to enjoy the peace of knowing that you're doing what God wants you to do, even though others expect you to do other things or more. Lord, may we experience the easy burden and the the light yoke and the joy of walking with you and living our lives, even where we are right now. With our eyes and our minds set on the fact that you are in control of all things. And Lord, when you are done with us for your purposes in our generation, you'll come get us. And until then, if we're still breathing, you've got a plan for each of us. May we enjoy it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.